and the mass slaughters that went on all through it, touching on some of the slaughters, but not all of them. And the reason they're not really wanting people to know about this in the West is you see the system that the elitists chose for us to go into for this new world order system is socialist, a socialist system. And right off the bat, you'll hear a professor talking about socialism and that there's a science to it. It's a theory based on Marxism. When they take over a new country or whatever, they always annihilate at least 30% of the population under the guise of restructuring. That's what they're calling it, the restructuring society. And we've got to remember there's many ways of annihilating 30% or more of the population using the sciences of today, especially the trusting population. Back with more after these messages. Hi, I am Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Talking about the, the film, the Soviet story that's up on Google. I think you can also buy it as well. And it's well worth it because it's something we should really understand, really get to understand the whole idea, the concept of socialism, which was funded into existence by the big rich boys of the Western world. It goes under different names, collectivism, communism, many isms. It's all the same system. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. So much so that Goebbels, in his early days as a propaganda minister for the Nazi party, likened, and you'll see the posters on that video, he likened Adolf Hitler to Lenin in their policies. And then you see them making the Stalin-Hitler pact prior to World War II, where they were great buddies with each other because their systems were so similar. And Hitler did go into action following the same scientific socialist agenda of depopulation of what they called inferior races, as the Soviet Union had already been doing. You see, it's all based on this odd religion, really, of Marx, Karl Marx, who was brought over to London to write his book, and kept in wealth and luxury while he did it. He was really a hack journalist that had been kicked out of other countries, including Germany. But he was a member of the World Revolutionist Party that somehow found refuge in London. London gave them free range and gave them big auditoriums in which to speak without any problems whatsoever. Why? Because London and the bankers financed it. It was the best way to control society through masses of bureaucracies, layer upon layer upon layer of bureaucracy, until it had a society, their perfect utopia, where you couldn't move or even be born without permission. And you had to have a function to fulfill. And they tied into it the whole Darwinist theory. You see, this is really a religion that was on the go long before Karl Marx came along. Or even Charles Darwin. After all, Charles Darwin's grandfather wrote a book much of which Charles copied from to get his ideas on the hereditary superiority of certain types. And they should know, after all, the Darwins had been breeding for generations with one other family only, the Wedgwoods, and they were only one part of that. Many of today's prime ministers and top politicians were descended from that, the offsprings of, of the Darwins and 
the Wedgwoods, including the Benn family, Tony Benn, who was a lifelong politician, as was his father before him in Britain. They're actually lords, I believe. So these, these special breeding programs were on the go for a long time. And these boys helped fund and found the Fabian Society. You'll hear George Bernard Shaw on that film saying people will come to us and have to ask us to validate why they should live. After all, if they're not producing and they're just consuming, what use are they to society, to our society, he says. And this is the same George Bernard Shaw that wrote Man and Superman and many other books to do with superior types, inferior types, etc. And the Fabian Society's own glass-stained window had the founders painted into it, hammering the world on an anvil into its proper shape, the way it should be designed by them, you see. And the Astor family, again, a strange, mysterious family that came down through the ages, just jumped over to the U.S., made a fortune in no time, then over to Britain as multi-multi-millionaires and funded, amongst many other foundations, the Fabian Society. Old, old plan, you see. And going back to Karl Marx, Karl Marx really drew up the same list of types who should be allowed to live and who should die. According to his theories of evolution, so much so, he loved Darwin so much so, he, he tried to dedicate his fourth reprint of the Communist Manifesto to Charles Darwin. Because he gave him validity for his theories, and he said that that the superior must not be dragged down by the inferior. And in, under this whole idea of perpetual revolution or thesis, antithesis and synthesis, ongoing change, 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 directed, of course, by those at the top, intelligentsia, they believed that certain peoples were too primitive and could not be brought up to scratch fast enough. And they listed them, Karl Marx listed them, those peoples, who were maybe two steps behind. They hadn't jumped into capitalism and economics and factories and all that kind of stuff. They were not good producers under their economic system. And after all, the banks were funding Karl Marx. You see? So they drew up a list, same list that later H.G. Wells drew upon, being a member of the Fabian Society himself, a propagandist for the elite to the Royal Institute for International Affairs. I guess I said royal, that's a very important part of it. Council on Foreign Relations, same outfit. And the same list that Adolf Hitler eventually drew up as well. They all borrowed from each other, you see, but so had the Soviets. So much so the Soviets eventually had decided long before they took power who would go. And the Ukrainians were part of that. They tended to make their own food. They, they grew their own food. They bartered. They didn't really need money. They lived like peasants, you see. They had, didn't bother with education. They didn't need it. They knew all they needed to know to survive. And you can't have that in an interdependent world. People who know how to survive, you must, must make them interdependent, you say, meaning totally dependent on the state. So therefore, they decided to take all of their grains, which they did, using the military. Militaries are wonderful things as we cheer them on, never thinking they're always turned on the people. That's the history of the world. And they stole all their grain and left the people to starve. And you see lots of 
the clips in that movie. You all see Mr. Gorbachev there too, standing up with all the other favorites, like Khrushchev, etc., who knew what was going on in their murderous system. Gorbachev now is over the darling of the media as he travels from country to country, preaching international socialism. It's write-ups in the top magazines, the top newspapers, and it's all for the greenable, sustainable, sustainable development system, which, of course, Mr. Rockefeller et al. are all into, too. What a coincidence. The general public have no idea what socialism is. They think it's a far-left radical party or something. The guy at the very bottom who reads the, the rags, the little tabloid rags, thinks it's for the workers. You have to read the books put out by the Fabian Society to realize what the agenda is. Because it isn't for you at the bottom. It never was intended for you at the bottom. It was a way to control you at the bottom by having so many layers of bureaucracy and permits and licenses, etc., that you would be obedient to the state who would run you in a scientific fashion after they got rid of all the old religions or superstitions, as they called it. And the Huxleys were all part of this too. Yeah, the interbred Huxleys. They also go back to the Darwin family. They're all connected to the top, you see. And there's much out today about the royal family of Britain and their Nazi connections. Well documented. The Times had articles out on it a few years back. And Prince Philip, who's talking about, oh, there's just too many people preaching the old Nazi philosophy, had his brothers and relatives in the Nazi party with their own uniforms personally presented to them by Adolf Hitler. But people never catch on. You see, Hitler took the, took the blame for all of it. Well, they kept the facade up that somehow the great experiment in Russia was different and cleaner. You know, it's for the workers, and it's going to be a workers' paradise. And they're still using that model today for the whole planet. Under the GATT Treaty, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, the elite of the Western world, who are all basically Nazis, along with the bankers, who are also Nazis. You, don't, you can be a Nazi from any ethnic group, you know. That's, again, another myth that you have to belong to a particular type. And they all got together and decided to make China, build China up to be the manufacturer of the planet. Now, they were not dum-dums. They have many think tanks. This is what will be the outcome of this. Well, across the Western world, there will be no employment for people who worked in those factories, and they can never really be upgraded. And so they'll be bypassed. We have to wither on the unemployment, or the dole, as they call it, give them endless retraining for jobs that all disappear. But they'll pass off and die anyway and they'll concentrate on bringing up the youth, just like the Soviets did, just like the Germans did in the Nazi era. And today, we watch it going on as they indoctrinate the youth who watched Obama passes. His bills there to do with getting political indoctrination. Indoctrination. Ideology is indoctrination, you see, into the minds of the young children, who then will be unrecognizable to previous generations, because they will be fanatics. And they will see the older people as obsolete, 
wasteful, destructive people. That's what they're being taught. And who's at the top of all this? Connect them all together. They're all in the same club. A myriad of foundations and NGOs. And most of all these foundations also pump lots of money into world depopulation. They call it family planning and health regimes. Health regimes. To them, they're quite nice, like fumigation. The more abortions they have, the less weeds there are to grow. And that's what Margaret Sanger, the, the founder of Planned Parenthood, called them weeds. She loved Adolf Hitler and said so. She loved his policies on racial hygiene. Now she's a heroine. Back with more after the following messages. Alan Watt were cutting through the matrix, talking about the wonderful science of socialism, something that's so camouflaged under many different names and guises. As I say, most folk think it's a far left wing, and other ones think it's it's some sort of semi-fascist Nazi type thing. It's one science that originated from Karl Marx, who worked on behalf of the biggest bankers on the planet. After all, if you were in the business of banking, it's to do with economics. And we are all economic units, the people, you see. We produce everything, as Marx himself said. And with just too many people, and you're, you're, it's like a herd, a farmer's herd. Good husbandry means you've got to call back the herd. That's how simple it is to them, especially those who can't catch up or have old ideas that they won't let go of. It could be religious. It could be their whole social culture. It is just too strong, therefore they have to be eliminated, or they bring down those at the top. This was reiterated by Charles Galton Darwin in his book, The Next Million Years, written in the 1950s, on behalf of the elite of Britain and elsewhere, where he said that. He said, we, we he said, being the superior type, will be outbred by the inferiors, so we have to do something about it. Then he gave a whole bunch of suggestions, which immediately went into acts, and they're actually using them. They're actually using them. They don't play around at the top. When Gulf War I ended, we found out that people were dying off with Gulf War syndrome, this strange, wispy thing. The CBC did documentaries on it, talked to tank commanders, guys who went back into the fields after battle, and collected these wrecks that said they were covered with a white powder from the depleted uranium, and they all got sick and many of them died of cancers. And, of course, we have the top military always denying that there's any effect on you. You could probably drink the stuff and eat it, and you'd be quite healthy, blah, 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 as our propagandists say. This ties right in with socialism, because these areas are going into, are right on the list of those peoples who will not catch up or give up their old way of life and come into the modern. Therefore, they must be eliminated. There's many ways to eliminate people, you see. The old way was messy, Mass graves can be dug up and, you know, it makes a, it's bad for the image, bad for the image. Therefore, there's ways of bringing, inoculations are great, and the first boys in there, of course, are from the United Nations World Health, or Health Organization to get the children inoculated to make sure there's no disease. But there's another fact of it, too. 
going back to the April the 30th. And remember, it started with the Gulf War I in that area. But here's Afghanistan, April the 30th, 2008. And this is from the BBC. By Daswood Azami, One Planet, Love One Planet now, on BBC News. There doctors in Afghanistan say rates of some health problems affecting children have doubled in the last two years. Some scientists say the risk has doubled, right? The rise is linked to the use of weapons containing depleted uranium by the U.S.-led coalition that invaded the country in 2001. A Canadian research group found very high levels of uranium in Afghans during tests just after the invasion. U.S. forces spokesman denied its weapons were affecting the health of Afghans or the country's environment. But claims made in the BBC World Service One Planet program suggest the invasion may have left an unwelcome legacy for the country's environment and the health of its people. Uh, says doctors in Kabul and Kandahar showed data indicating that the incidence of a number of de- health conditions, including birth defects, has doubled in under two years. We've got premature birth, births, a standard with this stuff, uh, and malformations. They came out with very short arms and stuff, or all, they're all misshapen, said one doctor who wished to remain anonymous in one of the main maternity and neonatal natal hospitals in the country. Malformations include neural tube defects, as seen for your brain, and malformation of limbs. For example, the head is smaller than normal, or the head is larger than normal, or there's a big mass like a tumor on the back of the baby. They don't know what's causing it, blah, 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 except for this link with the uranium, and they have it in their urine. So the evidence is all there, but they'll still poo-poo it. So once again, there's people who have given authorities, especially invading authorities, trouble for a couple of hundred years. I mean, Britain was in there a long time ago to get the opium, you see. And uh, the wars are ongoing. And then we tie that in, in with... Uh, an article from Global Research, March 27, 2009. It says, 10 years after the NATO bombing of Serbia, concern is rising over a rise in the number of reported cases of cancer. Some 15 tons of ammunition fortified with depleted uranium was dropped by way of more than 50,000 bombs, 50,000 bombs and missiles in the 11 weeks of bombing of Serbia in 1999. The targets of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is in NATO, bombing were, were 116 locations, mostly in the southern part of Serbia and the Kosovo region. Depleted uranium is placed at the tip of bombs for piercing the armor of tanks and heavy military vehicles, although weakened in the process, the production process, uranium remains highly toxic. Experts disagree on the impact of depleted uranium on health. Some say that the aerosol produced on impact and combustion of DU ammunition can cause cancer and affect the kidneys, brain, liver, and hearts. But some studies have found no significant impact on health or the environment. Well, of course, the one that says there's no uh, impact is from the military. So, as I say, there's many ways that scientific socialism can get rid of those on the list and once they're through they'll keep moving their sights their gun sights will move to the next list and you all think you're safe right now back with more after this break you're listening to the republic broadcasting network 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, I am Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, discussing the big picture of, it's not even creeping socialism, now it's out in the open, as we have authority after authority, many of them from government, but always working with many, many think tanks that are privately owned, the think tanks being funded by the foundations that are also privately owned by the big bankers who keep telling us that we need more and more governments of all kinds and regulations of all kinds to do with this interdependent world of theirs that they're bringing in that's already here, in fact, and will continue to do so. or be really here if we do nothing about it. And really, they know they have no real organized opposition. There's m- many little groups that are at, at the grassroots levels who are all fighting for different things. There's no cohesion amongst them. And even the ones who are young and fighting for, for the, the rights to be, to, or the wrongs to be righted for the banking side of things are coupling it all with sustainability and the greening agenda, which is exactly what they want to hear at the top. They bring in the new money system and coupled with sustainability. It's so well organized at the top. And meanwhile, we're watching people getting locked up all over the place for various things. And I've talked about John Anthony Hill before, who, who made the, the movie or the DVD that's up on the websites all over the place, uh, 7 7 Ripple Effect. He was arrested after a manhunt, supposedly, and they traced him down to Ireland. And I've talked about his case before, and he was getting tried today in Dublin for sending out DVDs with no letter attached. About 7-7 ripple effect about the bombings themselves, and he sent them to a trial, another trial, to do with supposedly friends, suspected friends, of the suspected bombers. And because of that, he's now in prison. Here's from Wise Up Journal, from today's data, I think. It says, would the world be a safer place if people mail public information who who mail it are behind bars? Today at the four courts in Dublin, 11 a.m., court 11, the judge ruled on whether or not to extradite John Anthony Hill to the U.K. Now, if he gets sent to the U.K., he's going to be tried at the anti-terrorism court in Westminster. John mailed a publicly available DVD with no letter attached to a court in the U.K. during a trial of three men. The DVD had nothing to do with these three men. It contained information from the BBC, ITV, the New York Times, and other such established mainstream news entities about four different men. During John's trial in Ireland, March 19th, uh, it says that was the first one, the judge said in his closing statements that he would watch the DVD before making a decision. Today, we found out that the judge failed to uphold that promise or commitment made in court when he told the court he had not looked at the evidence, was a reason for this, you see. The judge ruled against John, 60 years old, who was then put into handcuffs and led away by police to a prison. The judge said a number of people from all over the world mailed him, the judge, envelopes with DVDs. He also said he did not open the envelopes of those either. The judge said the European Arrest Warrant Act 
does not give him permission to not surrender, I like how they've worded it, does not give him permission to not surrender John under the grounds of freedom of expression, religious reasons, or if it was a violation of the Irish Constitution. After the judgment in the public corridors of the four courts, John's barrister, that's like a lawyer, said that the European Arrest Warrant Act states he cannot be surrendered if he will be treated unfairly in the UK as a result of his political opinion, which they feel he won't. But if you read the key articles 37 of the European Arrest Warrant Act, which is here on the site below, and I'll put the link at, the, uh, at my site, cuttingthroughmatrix.com, end of the show. From the Irish Statute Book, you can clearly see it really says, what it really says, it talks about, it talks about the warrant being invalid at the issuing point. It does not talk about being treated unfairly if extradited to the issuing state, which is the UK. It says a person shall not be surrendered if the warrant is issued due to a political opinion. It is even more open than that because it states that if there are reasonable grounds for believing that it was issued for reasons connected with his or her political opinion or religion, then the warrant is invalid and John does not have to be surrendered. But who's following the law? They don't have to anymore. They are the law since 2001, as the world has been told over and over in many, many ways. And that's the reality of life today. They are the law. Everything changed, and that was stated by one of the top boys on U.S. News right after 9-11. They said that the world will never be the same again. Why? Because he saw all the stuff that was going to get given to the public with anti-terrorism bills and laws. And they also knew it was just a kickoff to what they called the New World Order, which is international socialism, with scientific socialism strung all through it to make sure everything works the way it's planned. And they do know, know human nature, and they do feel they've got it all sewn up. The bulk of the population in all eras goes along with tyranny, no matter how bad it gets. And they know this too. They know this too. I'll go to the phone lines now, and we'll go to Aaron from Pennsylvania. Are you there, Aaron? Hello? Is Aaron there? Uh, is Anthony there? Hello? Hello, Alan. Yes, who is this? This is Anthony from North Carolina. How are you doing? Good. Uh, I wanted to uh, speak. Um, well, there's mul multiple subjects, but you had talked about how the chemicals that we are exposed to in the water and stuff, it creates almost androgynous beings. And I had seen a video uh, from uh, Fritz Springmeier uh, that was old, and they said the New World Order wouldn't have created androgynous being. Mm -hmm. If you look at how the reptiles are, uh, or the amphibians, excuse me, uh, you, you kind of see the same thing coming out now. Could you speak on that? Well, uh, they've known since the 1800s that you can alter uh, the chemical makeup, the biological makeup of man or woman uh, by adding certain chemicals. The bisphenol A, uh, which um, they had already discovered in the 1880s and 1890s, it was well understood that this mimicked a female hormone. And if you look into the big boys uh, in the, the Darwinist movement that were chopping up uh, 
fish and snakes and um, eels, etc. And many of them were writing professional papers on all this stuff. Uh, they talked about uh, adding this to, to, to the different um, environments of those particular reptiles and and they watched the difference happening there. They, they also knew it would happen to the, the, the mammals as well. They tried it on mammals. So they're well aware of what to do to basically effeminize the male. And it has the opposite effect on the female, this artificial uh, estrogen. It, it makes them more masculine in many ways. And therefore, that's why Carl Jung, for instance, in the 1950s, talked about the noticeable effects, especially in the Western world, with the processed foods, and that's really where they were adding it. At first, it was all processed and pop and so on. He said he noticed that the, the women were emulating the men. They walked like the men. They, they sometimes looked like the men in their, their maleish mannerisms. And now it's worldwide, that phenomena, because it's been used worldwide. Uh, now... Traditionally, again, in the Marxist doctrine, it was always, in this history, in fact, is it was always the men who used to stand up to defend their own, their territory, and so on, and their families or their tribe or their clan. And therefore, men were always the problem to this big uh, agenda. Therefore, if you feminize the males, uh, they, they, they don't get so, they, they, their, their testosterone just isn't there. And that's what they're finding, of course, in the studies. They've known this for the last 50 years, according to the CBC. The, well, the documentary is a disappearing male. So the, the basically, uh, it's a warfare program when you look at it from the right angle. Uh, this is a, a real warfare program. This a must be by those who own the world financially. And um, it's working. We're, we're seeing that men born today uh, with incredibly low uh, counts of, of uh, testosterone. Uh, how come the same chemicals, the same artificial estrogens, are in their pop cans, inside their pop cans, is in the pop itself. It's used to wash out uh, baby jars for baby food. We also know it's in the makeups of most popular makeups for women. It goes into the skin, it's absorbed, and then it affects the male in the womb from the age of 8 weeks to, to 12 weeks, the vital part for, for his masculinity to be developed, in fact. This is all perfectly well understood after survey after survey, and yet, uh, it's been it's been it's been shoved to the side. It's like it's not important. Well, it's not important. It's not an emergency because it's planned that way. Simple as that. Well, this is a genetic engineering that's gone over. Sure is. Probably the past few generations, but you can see it today. And yes. I think that they want to do that to make sure that there's no sort of any kind of revolution. Yeah. And then they put a false revolution there of people that are making riots at the G20 yeah. that are paid anarchists or whatever they want to call them, and they're not even really addressing the issues. They're just people who are yeah. just going berserk to destroy things. And then what is that, that is doing is that that is making middle class saying, well, we don't want to participate in this because these people really don't stand for anything. Mm-hmm. And it, it also makes, makes it appear to the general public that sit at home and watch TV it makes them appear that anyone who's complaining uh, uh, at, at all in a, in a massive group must be anarchists. That's really the message there. That's right, because anarchist is really an undefined term. Yeah, see, um, a true anarchist is someone who believes they, can, they have the right to govern themselves. They don't even understand their own philosophy today. Well, well exactly, but they used to use the term anarchist uh, in World War I mm-hmm. who killed uh, Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. 
you know, and they have used that term, and that puts the general masses away because people generally believe in something, mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of disarms them, and they're like, well, we're not going to protest, and it kind of gives a chilling effect mm-hmm. for people who have a, gen- a real complaint. And exactly. then they mix, you know, people yep. who say that they're anti-capitalist with the climate change people, and they, they're trying to stir the waters, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even then they misapplied the term anarchist with Archduke Ferdinand because the man who killed him was actually uh, a member of the Milner group of students who were, he was a young Turk, they called him, he was there studying. Remember, the, the, young, the young Turks, the young Italians, the young French, and so forth, these were all revolutionary groups uh, funded and paid for by the Milner Group to bring in this world society, but the press actually called him an anarchist, although he was well um, trained for his particular position. What you're seeing today is, is exactly right. It's meant to smear everybody um, uh, who isn't for greening and sustainability as being some sort of crazy, wacko anarchist that just doesn't know what they want. And I want to make one more last comment. Uh, I'm, I work, but I go to school as well. And in our college, uh, they have changed the term from green, which you mm-hmm. hear about environmentalists, to sustainability. Yeah. And that's been kind of almost a political correct term mm-hmm. uh, because this has changed over the past few months. Yeah, this, this is psycholinguistics. And what it does, you see, when it's green, 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 no one's really complaining or thinking at all. And green is good, etc. cetera. Uh, but sustainability is not, they've moved on to the next, you see, we get taught in increments. We get upgraded like computers in increments. We accept one part and, and the fines and all the rest have to do with the greening and, and polluting. The next part is sustainability. Now they're talking about the human population and the numbers of humanity. So this is the next step that they couple it to. It transforms, you see, under psycholinguistics. You start off with something pretty innocent-sounding, and once the public accepts it, you upgrade them to the next part, and you add on a whole bunch of new rules and a new direction. Well, the direction now is the culling off of the population. That's what they mean by it. Well, thank you for your insight, Alan. I appreciate it. Thanks for calling. As I say, it's amazing to watch Gorbachev being been led across the world, the darling of the media, and, and you have to look into the, the rush of the Soviet story. As I say, I'll put the link up again tonight. To You'll see the guy speaking in Russia with all the other big henchmen there. They'll show you the torture chambers down below and the drains in the floor where they mushed all the, the blood down and washed it away. You know, that's how you do things. You wash it away. And that's why red is their color. They love it. That's their sacred color, along with green. Green is the other sacred color of international socialism. For those who don't know that, now they do. Now, Aaron from Pennsylvania, are you there, Aaron? Yes, hi, Alan. Yes. How are you doing tonight? I'm hanging in as always. Good. Hey, I have two quick questions for you. Um, First of all, I have a friend who's a pilot, and I was talking to him last week about chemtrails, and he pretty much denied it, and he was saying that they were contrails. Now, do all these pilots believe in these, know about the chemtrails? I don't think we should expect the pilots to be any brighter than the average person. Yeah. Um, that's the problem. Now, there are pilots I've talked to who do see them, and okay. air crew as well uh, that are on big passenger planes. They see them all the time. I've also talked to people in the aviation uh, areas and the radar departments who have told me that they're not supposed to talk about it. They all know it, but they're not supposed to talk. They've been told not to talk about it to the public. 
Right. But again, you have the people who accept their environment as it is. If they're not told by the media or their, or their superiors, then they won't see anything that's there. I mean, if the sky went purple, uh, most folk would ignore it today. I'm not kidding. Um, because the media doesn't tell them. If the media tells them what they think about, worry about, they will. But if the media doesn't mention the topic at all, uh, their mind will literally dismiss it as unimportant because they've come to believe the media is there to do the reasoning for them. That's true what, what Brzezinski said. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh, one last question. Uh, I'm looking to buy your Cutting Through 1, 2, and 3 books. Mm-hmm. Now, what CDs complement those books? Is it the ancient religion slash history CDs? Yeah. Yeah, you can get that. Or, or you can also get Waiting for the, the Miracle book, which I have as well. Uh, which is it's much easier to go through, I guess, if you're reading. Um, and there's a lot more in those books as well, uh, where you can check up uh, the past and how how these sciences have always been understood. You know, even in ancient times, they knew how to create languages for people because we think in words. If you are the creators of a language, you can then string certain words together. It appears logical to the person who receives it, and you've actually programmed them. That's what language is, just like a computer, you see. Okay. Technically, technically, uh, if you have a, a computer programmer who was in on the building of the computer and you ask him a question for the computer, he should be able to tell you, knowing the logic of the computer and the language of it, what conclusion the computer must arrive at. We are exactly the same as a computer in that department. So the way these string words together is actually a way of, of um, controlling the public and making sure that we arrive at the correct authorized conclusions. Right. Yeah. All right, well, I hear the music coming. Uh, thanks a lot, Alan. Thank you. I'll be back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. That last call was talking about language, etc. And you just go through history and find out when the major languages really took a big change in the Middle Ages, all at the same time across Europe. And then you have little big statements made by Bacon, D, guys like that, at Queen Elizabeth I's court, talking about creating the international language of the future to be called English. And of course, in their day and before them, they were talking a, a kind of Chaucer-type English, a, a, a Germanic tongue, really. And how did they get new languages into vogue? Well, they came out with new Bibles, and they also came out with guys like Shakespeare, or the team, I should call, I should call it, of Shakespeare, who just churned out all these plays and put them across the country. And gradually, over time, that became the English language. He's credited in mainstream dictionaries as having pretty well given us about 180,000 words. Quite fascinating. And as we're giving King James Bibles out to uh, Britain, they were also uh, upgrading Germanic languages in Germany. And French was altered too. The French Canadians in Canada uh, are often hard to understand. They have been trained in, in what we call regular or classical modern European French. So things have, are upgraded at the same time across, across, across the board. And watching it now, we're going into linguistic minimalism 
as they bring through the culture industry the state of the language down to its barest minimum until really the time will come, like George Orwell said in 1984, the dictionary will get thinner and thinner until it's just like a little pamphlet and then they'll, they'll achieve success because there'll be no danger of terrorism anymore because no one will be able to convey a thought to anyone else. That's how they put it. I just need to listen to the music we've had going down and down and down over the years until it's just completely minimalistic slang. That's all we've got. By design, because it's a war, all-out war. Go into the history of Britain because they were the first ones to come out with the, the idea of total war, which included for the first time, and it's taught at Sandhurst and then was spread to Germany. Germany emulated, in fact, the fact that the guy who brought it to Germany for Hitler studied at Stan, uh, Stanhurst uh, College. Total war included for the first time every person in the population. Before that, armies fought armies generally. Occasional plunder, pillage and rape. Now they made fair game of everyone. You're all in it together. That's how it was done. And total war means also every method possible to eliminate your target, or at least to conquer it from psychological warfare to, again, depopulation. Depopulation is nothing new. Transporting people from one country to another is ancient. Ancient. Read your Persian history. So they use the same techniques over and over again. Disease, famine, warfare, plagues, etc. Pestilence. Very popular. And that's where all our tax money goes into ways that the, so that the elites can do it more effectively to us as they achieve what they see as their wonderful utopia when all primitive types are eliminated from society in all countries and they have their, their little smart population and they elite at the top, a technocratic bunch and technologists to serve the elite and a few laborers that will give them no trouble whatsoever. That's it. Well, here's the music coming in and from Hamish myself, Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.